Well, as we begin this solemn and reflective season of Lent, I would like to invite you to join me on a journey, a journey of repentance, a journey of renewal, a journey of deepening our understanding of God's unbreakable love. That's the title of the sermon series that we're going to be uh, doing throughout the season of Lent, God's Unbreakable Love. Each week we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that I feel like demonstrates God's unfailing commitment to you and to me despite our constant failings and flaws. And as we journey to Easter, we who call ourselves Christian, I believe we see what is undoubtedly the greatest expression of God's unbreakable love. A love that is so profound and so powerful that it destroys the chains of sin and death and replaces them with hope and newness of life. Our passage of scripture today is this text from Genesis chapter 9, verse 8 through 17. And the title of the sermon today is A Timeless Testament. A Timeless Testament. Now, if you were paying attention to the scripture reading a little while ago, you know that this is the children's nursery version of the story. You've been in a nursery before, no doubt, where you've seen a, a piece of artwork about Noah and the animals and his family and the ark. That's the children's nursery version. You won't find in that artwork references to the creation of Eden at the very beginning of recorded time like we see in Genesis chapter 1. You won't find in that artwork in your children's nursery the point at which God became so fed up with humanity that God decided to uncreate Eden. God decided to uncreate Eden because the people that God had created were determined to uncreate Eden. In case you don't know what I'm talking about, you better go back and read Genesis. I know you're stuck in numbers right now if you're reading through the Bible in a year. But you remember how the first man and the first woman recorded in Scripture, there was this forbidden tree and there was this forbidden fruit and they ate of the fruit anyway and they got expelled uh, or evicted from the garden, and then things went downhill from there. Cain killed his brother Abel. Lamech killed a man who was attacking him. It got so bad so fast that God from heaven looked down at the earth and says, I wish I had never made humanity. Because every inclination of their heart is toward evil and toward wickedness. We might say toward sin. And that's the moment that God decided to uncreate Eden. To uncreate people. And God decided to do it by a devastating flood. 
But apparently there was this one guy. His name was Noah. And Noah, his principles and his morals for living just pleased God for some reason. Apparently his standard of conduct, his way of living his life was in, in the way that God desires for all of humanity to live. In fact, this guy was so incredibly good that God referred to Noah as righteous. And so despite the fact that God was so mad that every heart had the inclination to evil and wickedness and sin, and despite the fact that God had decided that God was going to destroy the entire world with a flood, there's a moment of grace. When he looks over at Noah, this righteous man, God has an idea. God is going to preserve a righteous lineage through this man, Noah. God is going to even preserve representatives of the animal kingdom through this man, Noah. And here we get to the children's nursery version of the story. You look at those pictures and it looks like Noah's been on a 40-day carnival cruise. <laughs> Whether the pictures of him going on to the ark or the pictures of him coming off the ark, it's a chamber of commerce day. Sun in the sky, not a cloud anywhere. That's the children's nursery version of the story. And we're told that after Noah had built this ark and all of those animals and all of his family got on there and it rained for 40 days and 40 nights and then months after that they had to wait for the waters to recede and they had to wait for the land to dry. When they finally get out, it's beautiful according to that artwork. And the first thing that Noah does when he gets on the dry land after 40 days and 40 nights of rain and months of waiting for waters to recede and months for waiting for the land to dry, as soon as Noah gets back on that land, it's like me on some of the cruises I've been on. Thank you, Lord. He builds an altar and he begins to worship God. And in his way of worshiping God, he takes animals and he offers burnt sacrifices to God. Now, just to give you a little insight into how my mind works. Can you imagine being an animal that was handpicked by God to represent the future of the animal kingdom? You get invited onto an ark so that you're spared this flood. You spend 40 days and 40 nights on there. Months later after that, waiting for waters to recede and waiting for the land to dry. You finally get your paws back on the land and then Noah swifts you up and burns you to death on an altar. <laughs> but that's what the text says. And the text says that the fragrance, the aroma of that offering was so pleasing to God that God couldn't but help but respond. And you know how God responded? The first way that God responded is God said, every heart of every human is bent to sinning. It's bent to wickedness. It's bent to evil. That's God's way of saying the flood didn't change human hearts. But it appears as if the flood did change God's heart. 
Because God, who is so intent on destroying all of the earth and all of the animals, at the end of this all, God says, never again will I curse the ground. Never again will I destroy all creatures on the earth. Never again will the earth be consumed by a flood. And then God blesses Noah. Now, one of the primary ways that God blesses Noah in our text is through the establishment of a covenant. But the remarkable thing about this covenant is that Noah and his family and his descendants and all of the animals, they didn't have to do anything to receive the promise. It is all one-sided. Now, if you know anything about covenants at all, you know that covenants typically take place between at least two people and they are conditional relationships. If you do this, I'll do this. If you do that, I'll do that. But there is no conditional statement in this particular covenant. God doesn't say, Noah... If you and your family will behave yourselves better than the people that didn't behave themselves before, I will never again bring this upon you or any future generation. But that is not what God said. This is not a conditional statement. We're just told that God made a covenant that never again will I do this. And it makes me want to know why. Why would God make a covenant like that? It makes me wonder why the Bible doesn't tell us why God made that covenant. But it's, it's a little sparse on the information about why God made this covenant. But I'd like to suggest to you, based on my life of faith, I have an idea. It's not scriptural. You won't find it in the Bible anywhere. But I have an idea about why God may have made that covenant I believe that God made that covenant because God saw suffering. I think God saw the suffering of all those people that were perished in the flood, all those animals perished in the flood, and I think that suffering had an impact on God. I don't know for sure, but I'm wondering if part of the reason why God made this covenant is because God saw the faces of Noah and his family when they came off of that ark after being on it for months. And for the first time, they saw with their own eyes the destruction and the devastation that a flood of that magnitude would have on everything that existed I'm wondering if God saw the expression on Noah and his family's face, and that's why he made the covenant. I'm wondering if the reason why God made the covenant is because God realized, regrettably, that the flood did not change the human heart. One of the greatest gifts God has given us is free will. These People had the free will to respond in whatever way that they wanted to, to whatever it is that happened. And yet, the flood didn't change the fact that every heart was inclined toward evil and wickedness and destruction. I'm wondering if that's why God made the covenant.
I'm wondering if God made this covenant because God realized if I want to have a relationship with the people that I have created, then it is going to require grace and mercy instead of death and destruction. Because if I keep wiping these people off the face of the earth every time they do something bad, I will never be able to have the relationship with them that I desire. So God created a covenant. And not only that, but God put a bow in the sky as a sign of the covenant. In the ancient Near East, the bow was a weapon. But God was turning that weapon against itself in the scripture that we have today. When you look up in the sky and you see that bow, now you're not supposed to see God's punishment. You're supposed to see God's promise. When you look up into the sky and you see that bow, you're not supposed to see the, the mechanism that God used to attack. But you're supposed to see a God who is pledged here forevermore to protect, to preserve. It's as if God took the weapon of the flood that had been used to destroy all of humanity and all of the earth and says, I'm done with it. And just put it up in the sky, never to be used again. When I was growing up, I'm sure my preachers and teachers taught me well. But as I've learned as a preacher, that sometimes what you say isn't what people hear. Almost every Sunday, somebody will come out and say, I love that point you made about this. I said, well, that's great, but I didn't make it. <laughs> that's not what I said. Um, but I'm going to tell you how I heard this story, how I saw the rainbow as a child. Well, I saw in the rainbow, I was raised in a different denomination. We, we like to talk about sin a lot more in that denomination than maybe you're accustomed to here. But, but I was taught that that rainbow is because sooner or later Tommy was going to do something stupid. He was going to do something bad. He was going to do something evil. He was going to do something wicked. And, and, and at that point, God would be tempted to rain down, like, I, like the flood pun there, rain down. God would be raining down God's fury on me or anybody else that messed up. And it's like right when God would get ready to do it, he'd look over and see that rainbow. I have a story that kind of illustrates that. Several years ago, I was at a fall festival at the YMCA over in Brentwood. I was sitting in the parking lot getting ready to get out of my car and go into the fall festival. And I had the windows down and, and was just enjoying the beautiful afternoon. And all of a sudden, I hear this child crying. Child's getting closer, more hysterical as they get closer. And then I hear a mother saying, dry it up, dry it up. I deduced pretty quickly that this child was crying because they were leaving the fall festival and the child didn't want to leave the fall festival. It wasn't very long after that that I realized that there was another child with them, an older brother, I presume. And as that child is crying on their way to the car and mama's saying, dry it up, dry it up, the other little brother said, Mama, I've looked. There ain't no cameras and no people. You can whip a fire out of him.
I'm going to guess that at some point, those children had heard their mother say, you better be glad there's no cam- there are cameras here, or you better be glad that there's people here, or I'd wear you out. That's how I viewed that rainbow. I viewed that rainbow as sooner or later, Tommy's going to mess up, Tommy's going to do something he shouldn't do, and God, getting ready to punish me, said, oh, you better be glad that rainbow's sitting over there. Or else you'd get what's coming to you. But as I've gotten a little older, I see that rainbow a little differently nowadays. I know the scripture says that the rainbow was placed in the sky so that God would remember. But I can't help but believe that God also knew that by placing that rainbow in the sky, it would be a constant reminder to us. It is... To borrow a great sermon title I heard once, a timeless testament. That rainbow is meant to remind us that despite our failings and despite our flaws, there is an unbreakable love that God has for us and that is made available to us even while we were yet sinners. So what might this story have to say to us during this season of Lent? Well, the first thing that it might say is that there might be people here this morning that are going through a storm of your own. Feels like it's been raining for 40 days and 40 nights. It feels like the water's not receding. It feels like the land's not drying. Or perhaps you've just recently gone through a storm of your own and now you're seeing For the first time with your own eyes, just the devastation and the destruction that such a storm can leave in its wake. And maybe God just knew you needed a sign, a symbol, a bow to give you a little hope. To give you an assurance of a promise that is not dependent upon how good you are or how well you live. Maybe that's what this story might do for you in the season of Lent. Maybe your storm that you're going through is the result of your own sin, the result of your own wickedness, the result of your own bad choices, the result of your own bad decisions. And and you're just sure that whatever storm happened in your life, it's just God punishing you. And maybe you just needed a reminder that this is not about punishment. It's about the promise of God's abiding presence and God's desire to bring something good out of something awful. Maybe you needed to be reminded that even though God's promise is not conditional, it doesn't require anything on your part, maybe... Maybe this season of Lent will be so much about you growing in your deeper awareness of the unbreakable love of God. And that unbreakable love, while it's not conditional, stirs up within you a desire to love like that. And to live with a greater appreciation and understanding of that unconditional, unbreakable 
unbreakable love. And so maybe during this season of Lent, you're like, you know what? I want to show grace and mercy to other people the way God has shown it to me. I want to seek to love the way that God loves. Maybe that's how your life will be changed on this Lenten journey. Maybe you've decided that you want to live your life as a sign, as a rainbow, as a timeless testament to God's unbreakable love.